Thanks for coming back and listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to John Bondi, Bondi Bates, Bondi Fishing. John's going to talk a little bit about jigging, a lot about jigging because well, that's what Bondi Bates are typically used for. So we're going to go down that path with John. I know we've had a few listeners ask us to have on somebody to talk about jigging and I figured, hey, when I think of jigging, I think of Bondi Bates and might as well get John on and talk about that. But other than that, Brad Hoppy, Musky Mayhem Tackles again with me. Brad's been back for, I don't know, Brad, this is probably like three or four weeks in a row. It's like a new record for the year. <laughs> I think it was on a few more times than that in a row early in the year. I uh, know. Guide, guide season gets in the way. Fishing gets in the way. Plus this year you've been doing some extra filming stuff and that gets in the way too. And, and uh, you know, quite honestly, I just refuse to podcast at midnight with you anymore. So it's you got to kind of work around my schedule. Well, I try to always be there if I can. That's for sure. It's all right. I mean, people are people were still listening. <laughs> They're starting to, and based on the numbers, it's typical. You know, in November, guys start they got they have to choose Brad between hunting and fishing, and sometimes they lose the fishing guys. You know, we start to lose some of the listeners because they go pick up uh, pick up a gun or a bow. Yeah, it happens. That's for sure. I mean, it's hard to do every sport that you enjoy to do and do it well. So dedicating your time to whatever it is that you're involved in at that point makes sense. But if you're one of the lucky ones that you're still out chasing muskies and you need gear, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. There's probably a bunch of retailers that have given up on ordering products or, you know, coming out with new colors. And we continue to, uh, we continue to, you know, fill up the shelves the best we can and try to get you the gear that you need to land that next trophy. So if you're still out fishing, or maybe you're going to shop for a Christmas gift for a fellow angler, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And you can also get gear from uh, MuskyMamTackle.com, as well as Team Rhino with our products and many other retailers. But uh, yeah, you can check us out if you have any interest in looking and learning about our products. You can check us out at MuskyMamTackle.com. You can order from that same site. Or just take a look at our social media platform with Facebook, Instagram, as well as YouTube. Well, Brad, I don't have much to add to this episode as far as an intro goes or BSing. I just, uh, why don't we just get get John on the phone if you're good with that? That sounds like a plan. Our guest this episode is John Bondi with Bondi Baits. We had a couple of listeners reach out to us and they wanted us to talk about jigging. And of course... When I thought jigging and I think about jigging, I think Bondi Bates, and of course then I think about John, and in my opinion, I would say that you're probably like one of the, I don't know, the uh, pioneers of jigging, possibly, I would say, John, when, what do you what do you think about that? Well, you know, jigging's been around a long time, but um, uh, we I primarily walleye and bass and everything jigging, but to put around my area, no one had ever jigged for muskie before. And uh, that's kind of how the, the company got started, really. Basically, how the company began was, you know, I've been making plastic worms since I was in high school, so in the 80s. And then uh, uh, when I was, I've been guiding 27 years on the Detroit River, and we would always just cast bucktails for muskie and topwaters and just fish shallow. But on a bluebird day, we had a slight cold front on any kind of, you know, I'm talking like, you know, early to mid-summer, any kind of bluebird day, 
man, that, that captain bite would just shut down in the Detroit River. And, uh, and this fish that, you know, would normally be chasing on a cloudy day, I just could not get them to run down any bait after about 9 a.m. So I started thinking, I started, you know, uh, guiding for walleye in the spring, like April, May. We occasionally would get bit off or we'd get a muskie right to the to the side of the boat when we're targeting walleye, you know, when the musky season's close. And I said, uh, you know, maybe I could, maybe, you know, they're obviously using these shipping channels here on this river. Maybe I could, maybe I could catch one jigging if I went like with a saltwater type jig and just, just vertical jigged as we drift down the river, just like I was walleye fishing, but heavy duty. Boy, the first day we did it, uh, I had a customer with me. It was like opening day one year. It was about 20 years ago. We caught about a 30 pounder. And all I did was go to areas where I had frequently been bit off, you know, in the early part of the year when the season was closed. I just had a mental note of all these areas. And I went back there and tried to actually jig for muskie instead of other species. And, and, uh, long story short, the, the, the shallow water casting started to fade for me. And I started to focus on jigging because I was catching bigger fish. And, uh, you know, and then I, at first I was, I was trying to jig various products and, uh, they all had problems that I couldn't hook up or they would get tangled on the leader or they were too light. So being, I had knowledge of making plastic baits already. I just went about, uh, carving, uh, literally I made it out of Bondo car repair stuff. I just made this prototype of this jig and then made a rubber mold of it. And it was about seven ounces and we just started jigging and that thing worked from day one. And it, it is the exact same original version from day one. There was no prototype beyond the first prototype. So I really, really lucked out there. Yeah, that's wild, John. And, you know, it's so cool to think about, you know, what you created there. Where was your mind when you were actually carving that out? I mean, that's pretty interesting, the shape and everything else. I'm assuming you're talking about the original Bondi itself. Yeah, the original Bondi was the was the, the one that I came up with first. I knew I want I knew what weight I wanted. I knew I wanted trebles on the bottom. And uh, you know, I put the blade on there just as an attraction. But in the end, it became an integral part of the bait because it it had a drag on the tail, which helped the tail go up and the nose go down on the way down. So that blade um, is an integral part of the bait. And, you know, when I first made it, I, I just wanted to keep it a secret. I didn't want people knowing about this lure. I didn't want people knowing about the technique because literally on my area, the Detroit River, I wouldn't see anybody fishing. It, once you hit the walleye season was over, you'd see occasionally you'd see a guy casting bucktails, but you would never see anybody jigging. So I tried keeping it a secret for several years, and I told my customers, I pleaded with my customers to not tell anybody what I was about to show them. But after several years, I said, you know what? Someone's going to come and take this out from underneath me. So I decided to uh, market the bait as best I could and market, you know, a technique to go along with that. And that's a rarity uh, is when you come up with a product and a technique. Now, you know, jigging has been around for centuries, but vertical jigging, drifting down a river in heavy current, you know, no one had ever done that in this region here. So I got really fortunate that uh, 
I came up with this thing and, and, you know, it's expanded. Like I say, I tried to keep it a secret. I was going to, and I never even planned on selling the bait. Um, I just wanted it as a tool. Well, all these years later, I probably made close about three quarters of a million of these Bondi originals. And the baits won at least 30 musky tournaments around the country that I know of. And probably 30% of my business goes to Lake Trout fishermen up north. I mean, I've literally shipped these things all around the world. And it is, when you, when you look back, it is nothing but a big, ugly hunk of plastic, but it's a jig. And it's, you know, a jig has probably caught more fish from a ball head jig for walleye to whatever, tube jig. It's probably caught more fish in the world than anything. So it's really not a revolutionary. It's just a big, heavy jig with two big trebles on it. And it just amazes me with the stories and the emails I get from people, how, how much success they've had on this simplistic idea. You definitely uh, came up with a great plan there, John. You know, before we move into a bunch of the bait talk and about technique and so on, why don't you give us a little bit of background and also share about your uh, guide service as well, John? Yeah, well, I went, to, went away to college uh, when I was a kid, and uh, I, I knew the whole time I was in college I wanted to somehow make a living fishing, and I was really focused on bass tournaments, and I really thought that I could survive the, the big trail out there doing that guiding was always you know there as a kind of a backup type thing my when I was 16 I thought I was going to be Kevin Van Dam you know Roland Martin but guiding was a, a very uh easy thing for me to roll into because I loved seeing people catch fish I lived in a very good area to be a guide I mean all the techniques are are around here are easy for people to catch fish and our fish are plentiful so it's easy to in in the big picture it's lake st Clair, detroit river is one of the easiest lakes to be a guide on most days like there's a lot of parts now i've probably fished in 30 states and i and i think to myself boy if i had to guide here it would be difficult you know so 27 years next year man 28 years next year doing this i've done it right out of college i've never worked a full-time job anywhere uh, you know, I came from a blue collar family and I just worked and worked and worked and starved to death early on. And, uh, when I started, there wasn't a lot of people guiding out of bass boats around here. And, uh, that's all I've done. Most of the guides were just big charter boats, you know, put six people on them, go out and troll or jig for perch or whatever. But me and a few other guys came along, uh, Kevin Long, Art Ferguson, and we started fishing out of bass boats. And that's what I've stuck to. And it's a great platform for fishing out, I think. You know, all these years later, I look back and it's just, man, it's just amazing that it's, I've been doing it this long. And uh, just, man, I, I love it every day. I've never, like I tell everybody, if I, if I don't live another day from now, I've, I've already won because I've never had to work a real full-time job. And, you know, anywhere i've just fished and i've survived just by making lures and catching fish so i'm blessed beyond belief only hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about it john it's all i ever wanted to do you know fish 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 you know john let's talk a little bit about i don't want to talk a ton about it but a little bit about guide service last year and you know canada being closed i'm assuming was your guide business struggling last year 
you know, where I live, I live in Windsor, Ontario here. And, uh, I realized in my first year that there was not enough business, um, from Windsor to Toronto to keep me going full time. And, uh, then I look over in Michigan, Indiana and Ohio. And between those three states, there's millions of people with a lot of money. And so I completely shifted after my first year and I started to attend fishing shows throughout the U.S. and taking newspaper and magazine writers out from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. And I completely shifted and actually started charging in U.S. funds from that day, from 27 years ago. That's what I've always done. I never had a problem, really, uh, with customers coming. I had a few things happen over the years that really hit me hard. 9-11 was a real big one. I lost a lot of business. People didn't want to come across the bridge into Canada. You know, and I came back from that. And then there was a passport requirement came through. I believe it was like 2009. Everyone needed a passport to, to not come to Canada, but to return to the U.S. And that's still the same, the case that you needed to return to the U.S. And uh, that hurt me quite a bit for a little while. But nothing has hurt like COVID. Like with the border closed, like 95% of my customers are from the U S and, uh, that I was really, really struggling. It's just recently reopened here. And a lot of my customers are really making an effort to come back. You know, you got to get a test ahead of time and prove you're vaccinated at the border. I mean, it's a total headache right now. And, uh, but they're coming back. You know, I've had a, had a busy fall this year and I anticipate, anticipate a built up demand. I think a lot of the lodges and everything are going to be very busy in Canada next year because of the built up demand and the increased number of people that are fishing nowadays. Uh, they've sold millions of licenses to people who have never had one before throughout North America. So you have a ton more people fishing, but, um, I, I tell my wife, we are blessed. And I thank God every day that I started this lure business because I don't know, uh, if I lost 95% of my guide business, how I would have paid my mortgage over the last year and a half. You know, I got very next to no help from any federal agency or anything like that uh, to help tourism sector. You know, I just, I'm just blessed that I had that lure business because I don't know what I would have done. Well, I know based on, I mean, it seems like demand for your product is probably at an all-time high, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, the, the demand for the bait is off the charts. It's not just my stuff. It's just uh, every fishing item out there. It's just off the charts, off the charts demand. Um, I've been behind on my products and I've, been, I've not been guiding until, you know, the very recent because of the border closure, but I still have not caught up much throughout the whole year. I've got, you know, three employees. We're moving to a bigger building here in a, in a few, few weeks, uh, quadrupling the size, got new injection machine on the way. I'm just trying to, uh, um, you know, make some money while I can here. Cause you don't know what the future holds, but I think the, uh, I think the demand being that people are now either reintroduced or introduced for the first time into fishing. I think the demand, even if COVID goes away, the demand is going to be there for four or five, maybe 10 years for equipment. Cause all those people, all those new fishermen, they need rods, they need reels, they need lures, they need all that. And uh, you just walk into uh, any any dealer or go on any website and see everything's sold out. So I think the demand is going to be there for a while. And that's just the thing fishing needed. You need a good shot in the arm, you know. 
numbers are going down or hunting and fishing and now they're back up. So that's good. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's shift away a little bit from, you know, just talking about baits and, and that stuff. Let's talk about the technique of jigging for people that have never done it. What's your technique? How do you go about doing it? How do you get somebody started going, going, doing it? Why don't you talk about, you know, tools well, that you use too, like as far as rod and reel. Well, there's two main things that I do personally is I, if I'm in a river system or uh, when I say river, I just mean current, like current to you might mean, uh, getting on a windy day and getting be- between an island and shore, whereas a neck down area where now you have current and deep, you have deep enough water, you can vertical jig it just like you're in a river. So what I do is I jig down a Detroit river or, or, uh, sometimes a Sinclair river and we're focusing on channel, channel drop. So I'll get on a channel drop, uh, like 20 foot and then jig, jig down it. Or, and if I don't get nothing, I'll try 25 and then drift, you know, a few hundred yards and in my key areas and maybe sometimes 30 foot and just vertical jig it. What I do is, uh, I'll jig the bait. I want the bait to land uh, on the bottom. I want my rod tip to be pretty close to the bottom or uh, pretty close to the water surface. And when I jig it up, now again, I'm standing in a bass boat. When I jig it up, I want to jig it no higher than my chin because 50% of the fish that grab this bait, they're used to watching this jigging motion of a dying fish. That's why jigging works. It mimics a dying bait of some sort. 50 or more percent of these fish grab it at the top of the lift. So you go right to your peak of your lift and you get a knock in the line or a total slack or a big hard slam. So you, you don't want to lift it too high. And what I do then is I just, I just drift and I jig down the river, any current situation, just let the current use the current to bring you to the fish. Just drift with the current. Now on a lake, what I do on Lake St. Clair is I, I call it swim jigging it. And you can do this on any body of water uh, where there's no current. This, if, if people take this idea and do it on their lake, they will open up a, a whole big horizon for them. I go out on Lake St. Clair in the summertime. Once you get the fish have done spawning, they'll get out in like 15 to 20 foot. And I'll take a, one of my jigs. A lot of times it's the lighter, lighter baits like the junior or the mini wobbler. And I'll just chuck that thing as far as I can throw it. And I never let it touch the bottom ever during the retrieve. I jig it in a sweeping motion from like nine to 11 o'clock and just jig it all the way back to the boat. And they will run that thing down, especially on a flat calm day when they're not chasing baits and it's sunny out on the lake. They will run them little jigging baits down, but I never let it touch the bottom. I just swim jig it all the way back to the boat. The lighter baits, you know, four to five ounces are easy to cast. You can cast them like a, like a bullet. And I just cover water that way. Often I'll drift in the wind and I'll just have all my customers and we'll just be chucking and swim jigging it back, swim jigging it back. You could do that anywhere, that technique. And um, it, it, the hardest part of the whole jigging thing and the whole open water thing is that getting people to commit to doing it for a day. Getting the traditional musky angler to go fish deep is very difficult. And it's something I've preached all these years is just forget about the weed beds for one weekend. Just go out and jig deep water, commit to it for one weekend in in the middle of summer and, and just see what happens. 
and you would not believe how many devotees I've had that have, after they've done that. Get out there with your craft, get out there, spend some time in the seat behind the steering wheel, idling around, seeing some likely structure, you know, drop that bait off the back or swim jig it off the front. I mean, you, but you got to drill it into people's brains that it's not all about the shallows and it's not all about the rock pile and 12 foot. It's, it's deep, you know, deep, deep water up to 50 foot in some cases. Those fish are not seeing lures out there. And you just, if people will commit to doing it, especially in a hot summer, they will they will open the horizon. It's like the last, when you think about it in the musky world, open water, deep water is like the last big horizon out there, really. And if people commit to it and spend time doing it, they'll be amazed at their success, really. they will. They, I think their catch rates will go up all year. So it kind of leads me into a question I had here on one of my notes was um, when you get the customers in the boat, was it difficult for you for them to buy into it or did they find success fairly quickly and, and it was an easy transition for you to, you know, I'd say train your customers into this technique? In the first few years, I would not tell them what we were doing. I would get them out there and we would chuck bucktails in the morning every day. No matter, even today, I do it. We chuck bucktails, chuck topwaters. Then I would say, listen, I'm going to show you something <laughs> that's going to blow your mind, but I want you to just drill it in your head that this works and you can't tell anybody. <laughs> that's how I started it out. And they were just like, whatever, you're the guide, you know, let's see what, what happens. And uh, I would show them, I'd say, you jig for walleye in this river, probably let's just try this. And I, and uh, they were amazed. I mean, uh the catch rates were high. The fish were bigger. I mean, people really, I had a lot of people who have booked 50, 60 trips with me just to do this technique, you know? So it is really, uh, <laughs> once people started, like I say, you got to get people to trust you that, and, and one thing I tell people in the morning, I'm going to say, listen to me, this is boring. This is monotonous. You may not like to do this. This might be your only trip. But if you do not lose focus by looking at the swans and whatever, if you focus on this jigging for the entire eight-hour trip, you will catch a muskie. It could be the biggest one you've ever seen. So once you drill it into people's heads at the success rate of this thing and, uh, you know, the potential, they, 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 you know, they'll come around. A lot of people don't come back. A lot of people find it too much work. You know, because you're jigging a seven ounce bait, twelve, eleven ounce bait down the river all day. A lot of people are that's not their that's not their deal. Well, they're better off on a trolling trip because if they can't focus on this all day, it's not going to be something that they're interested in. You know, so I just tell them, I just say, look at, and I, I oftentimes my customers are back, and I can see them in the back of the boat, and they're drifting, they're drifting. You know, and the rods up way high up in the air, and they're letting up the wind blow a bow in their line. So they're not, they're letting it fall too fast or they're just losing focus. And I, and I know that, you know, eventually they're going to blow a fish. You know, when I'm in the river jigging, if you average the whole season out, I uh, will get three to four bites a day. So it all depends on the ability of the customer, their experience, if they can get those fish in the boat. 
So I'll put them on the fish, but if they're losing focus, you know, it's, it's not my, it's not my issue when they blow the big fish, but it can be kind of tough. It can be kind of monotonous. You know, it's tough for me to, to get two or three people and have them all focused intently on jigging for a whole day. You know, it's not, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. But outside of a river on a lake, you're doing mostly casting. So it's easier to stay focused and, you know, and get them bites when you're swim jigging it back. You know, it, you were talking about how the demand for your product is at an all-time high, but I still feel like this is a fairly underutilized technique. Would you agree with that? I would say, I would say, yeah, I think, I think there's plenty of room for growth in the, in the jigging business. I've been amazed that there hasn't been more products out there that have come around and, and been tried to basically cop. There's been a couple copies out there, but they didn't really work out luckily for me because when now when everybody thinks jigging they think of bondy and that's that's basically what i wanted to have happen you know when you when you got to blow your nose you say where's the kleenex and that's that's a marketer's dream right there so that's what i wanted i wanted people to say we're jigging bondies blah 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 blah. you go online it's all you talk about jigging bondies jigging bondies and you know that's that's like a once in a lifetime thing that can happen to a lure designer you know, like Gary Yamamoto, I'm throwing a Senko, I'm throwing a Senko. You might be throwing, uh, there's a 500 brands of, you know, 500 uh, uh, stick baits out there, but everyone calls them a Senko, you know. That's that's what you want in your brand. And I think there's plenty of room for growth, you know, with the age of YouTube and the internet and things like that. I, I just, I get emails daily from people who have had experiences with the bait, either for pike way up north or wherever. So I, with the number of fishermen out there, I think, I think there's tons of room for growth, you know? And like I say, once you start, once these fish in the shallows get beat up by the end of summer, there's not a lot of other options except go deep. And when you go deep and jig, people bring up the bonnie bait and that's just, you know, that's, that's what you want. And from my view, you know, that's funny. Before you brought up Kleenex, that's what I was thinking. I was like, a Bondi bait is essentially Kleenex, you know, and that was the exact analogy that I was thinking in my head. And, and uh, yeah, you hit it right there. That was perfect. It's, that's exactly what it is. When people think about and here's the crazy, they think about the Bondi bait. I know. And here's the craziest thing. I make some of the most unattractive, hideous fishing tools on the market. I'm the only guy that doesn't paint lures. My lures look like they've been described everything from a bar of soap to whatever, but they're just tools. They're tools that catch fish. And I, I remember, I remember I was at the Chicago monkey show one time and I was in the booth with Rolly and Helen's and I was standing by my product, the most unattractive product in the booth. And I had 10 feet of tinsel to my left and whopper ploppers to my right. And people were, basically climbing over me to get to all the whopper ploppers and the tinsel. And my baits were just, you know, unless you're a deep water guy, you are not going to go pick up this thing just because of how awful it, they look. You know what I mean? But I, I don't care. I want a lure that catches fish and they're tools. They're just, the bonnie bait is nothing but a tool. 
to catch deep water fish. If it's there to catch fishermen, that's not what I'm interested in. I want something that's there to, to actually help people catch fish. So I don't, I don't foresee me painting my baits or making anything more attractive than they already are. I want people who are hooked on the bait, you know, and the technique and, and that's what I want. And those people will keep coming back. I think maybe we're painting a picture that it's only good for the deep though, John. And I can honestly tell you, I mean, both with the, uh, the Royal Orba and the mini wobbler, even just the regular size wobbler, I've done very, very well casting them in the weed lines too. So for the listeners out there, I don't think they should be, you know, I just want to make sure people understand you can use these as a different tool as well as what you've already discussed. Yeah, the, the, uh, I've had quite a few phone calls from people. You know, if the water is stained on your lake, I know a guy in Ohio, he digs 10 feet deep all year, and he uses a bonnie bait. And he'll take his trolling motor, and he'll move 20 yards down the break, you know, and he'll jig in 10 foot. And then if he doesn't get none, he'll move more, and then he'll jig. He's shallow jigging. And that, you know, that's definitely, that's definitely doable with these baits. It's not, it all depends on the clarity of that water, really. You could uh, fish deep weed lines with them, catch nice pike doing that. I mean, you could, there's, there's so many, there's so many uh, different things. So to me, it all depends on the water clarity. You know, if it's clear, they're not going to be there in the shallows anyway. So I think that uh, in the heat of the summer, you know, I think you're going to be wanting to go deep, but if you got some nice tannic stain or you got some, you know, muddy water, you could fish like in, in Kentucky. I mean, they're fishing under boat docks with them and fishing laydowns and treetops and things like that. One of my biggest markets is the mid South, all these reservoirs. If you would have told me that when I invented this bait, that guys would be jigging for like the, I got a picture from a guy who's standing on a boat dock in kentucky and i'm like why has he got this fish why is he standing on the boat dock and i come to find out all these pan fishing stuff getting onto these boat docks and these guys are going into the slips and empty slips and they're jigging and i would have never dreamed that they would be using these baits in the mid-south like that for muskie i mean it's one of my biggest markets now all these all these reservoirs down there Southern Ohio, Kentucky, even Tennessee and, and West Virginia, man, that just that just blows my mind. That guys are finding all these different ways submerged timber. Guys are fishing them on bluffs where there's where there's uh, laydowns and stuff over deeper water. I mean, everybody's found their own little own little way of doing it. I know guys that spear pike and they use them as decoys to get the pike to come in. Uh, I mean, you can use them for ice fishing for lake trout. Uh, I mean, it's it's endless because the reason it's endless is because it's nothing but a big jig when you cut away the fat, you know. So again, I guess it's safe to say that everywhere muskies swim, you think that you can catch them on on a bondy bait. I would. I I caught a I caught a muskie uh, uh, in two foot of water under a dock one time, about a twenty five pounder in New York. So them suckers, <laughs> you know. You, I know guys that I know guys that take the treble hooks off and put a hook just on top. So they attach it to the eyelet and like chuck them up on like sandy shorelines and pull them, pull them like four or five feet deep and just drag them off the brakes 
and stuff like that it, with the holding, you know, the hook just on the top, you know, it's just crazy to me. And it's like I say, it's just a big jig. And, uh, but we sure saw a lot of them though, man. It's just every year, like every year I hear about a new area where it's being used and it just blows my mind going back to the fact that I just, I was going to just not tell anybody about this thing. I was just going to use it for my own use. You know, I'm sure glad I, I moved on from that idea. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just going to ask him what his favorite jigging bait is and what his favorite swim jig. Definitely the uh, the, the, the Bondi original is uh, the best seller. I use it pretty much every day. We're jigging. I use the bond, the big wobbler. I've been using the big wobbler all this week, actually. But Bondi original is a big seller. And when I'm swim jigging out in the lake, I'm using the mini wobbler. Mini Wobbler, Pearl Mini Wobbler in Canada, at least, has become my number one selling bait in Canada. People are using them, I think, for pike and lake trout mostly up there. But the Pearl Mini Wobbler is just, man, I've sold so many of them things. And it's just a it's four and a half ounces. It cast like a rocket. Easy to swim jig back. You got that blade on the back. And you just uh, you just swim it and uh, keep it off the bottom. If I... I get zero, like St. Clair, you know, it's a shallower lake, right? 15 foot is average, you know? So if I get zebra muffles, I'm not swimming it high or fast enough. So, um, it's just an ideal bait for that. I just, the fish over here, just love it. It's a little morsel for them. So John, size of bait and when, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, if you look at the original Bondi, there's now three sizes. Um, and then you got the wobbler. I believe there's only two sizes, if I'm not mistaken. I'd like you to kind of share with the listeners too on exactly what size of the bait you're using and exactly when. For me personally, in this area, our fish are so aggressive. Like for example, we don't use in the Detroit area, we don't use suckers ever because you don't have to, because these fish, because of the current, they always seem to be more active than fish in other regions. So I tend to just use the full-size bait when I'm vertical jigging. I'm using the biggest ones because the fish will eat it, you know. I originally made the smaller baits for guys in areas like southern Ohio and places like that where the, the bodies of water are smaller and the fish might be a little smaller and they're all stocked, you know. What I found was they're excellent to cast on St. Clair with, so... I'll use the lighter baits when I'm casting, but any other time I'm using, you know, the full-size versions when, I, when I'm jigging it. The time of year, water temperature, things like that, never seem to really play a, play a role around here because of the activity of the fish seems to be higher. Not, not just because there's more fish, but because of the current. It, like, if you go down south, and fish, like for bass or whatever, the fish always bite the best when the dams are, are flowing. The fish turn on when the, when the dams are flowing, and that's basically our water doesn't ever turn off here. So the fish are always seen to be snapping. You know, it's just, I mean, you don't catch them every day, obviously, but it seems like they have a higher activity level than most places I've fished. So, John, let's talk a little bit about the Royal Orba. I know, you know, from a sales perspective, that's been a very popular bait. What, I guess, why all of a sudden did that thing just take off? <laughs> well, I made a bait 
again, for guys like in Ohio and places like that, called the Hot Orba. I make this bait called a Hot Orba. And people ask me all the time, what does that name mean? Where did you get, this sounds so weird. Where did you get Hot Orba from? Well, there's a, that's <laughs> crazy. There's a very well-known hotel in Detroit called the Hotel Yorba. And the White Stripes even wrote a song about it, the Hotel Yorba. Well, the place has fallen into disrepair. And the sign has a big neon sign on the roof. And for a while, it was busted. And it said Hot Orba instead of Hotel Yorba. So that's where the name came from. It's just something really dumb, really. But it's hilarious to me because we always laughed about it, the Hot Orba. And that basically looks like a bar of soap. But it had this twin blades on the back. And I still, I sell quite a few of these things. It's not very big. It's five and a half ounces. And it's got this twin blade deal. And I'm like, well, how come no one has a bait with twin blades on the back? Everyone's got them on the heads of the bucktails. And I said, man, that thing obviously attracts fish. So I, I came out with this bait. Well, about four years after that, I was fishing with a customer from uh, England. He wanted to stop and have tea. No, no joke. He wanted to stop and have tea. I just, when he was doing that, I just, I'm always tinkering. I got out a bunch of baits and I pieced together this bait. Now we, we weren't catching nothing. It was dead calm, sunny. We weren't catching a thing. I pieced together this bait. I took those twin blades and I put them in the tail, in the back, and I put a tail on top and I started chucking this thing. I'm like, you know, this looks really good. And in the next couple hours, we went from no fish and not seeing anybody or hearing of any fish get caught. We put four fish in the boat that were like in the mid to high 40 inch range on a flat, calm, sunny day. And I said, man, this thing, I wonder if maybe these fish, maybe uh, they were at a certain level in the water column and I just got the bait to this specific level. Maybe that's why they were eating it, you know. Well, I went home that night and I made a, I made a couple real ones. And I took them out the next day, and we caught seven fish on this thing. And I was like, my, my gosh, maybe I have a new bait. So this was about seven, eight years ago. So now it was about five years ago. So a few days after that, I had, I had some more of them. I made some more of them. And I had a trip where we went 14 for 16. And I said, all right, now I know I've got something unique here. It wasn't really, it was an okay seller. I mean, guys were using it around like St. Clair and that's and that. But in the last 24 months, it has gone bonkers, this thing. And it's just, you know, again, just a thing that happened into. I just was, you know, if this guy didn't stop and have tea, I wouldn't even have done this. And that's why it's called the Royal Orba, because I Englishman from the UK with me. And uh, that's how it got its name, Royal Orva. And uh, boy, I tell you, we sell a lot of them, man. We sell these baits and uh, that's going to, that's going to continue to skyrocket, I think, because that style of bait, the tail and everything is, you know, extremely popular. So, um, you throw a couple of twin blades on the back and that's just, I mean, that just doubles the attraction of that style of bait to me. Again, I'm not painting any of these things. So, <laughs> and they still, people buy them like crazy and they still, you know, they still continue to grow in sales. So it's, 
uh, just another tool that I've lucked into. And, uh, that's, you know, we got three sizes of that now. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I, it's just crazy. It's just crazy how many they're buying right now. People have called me up winter or this summer and, you know, I don't know if you, but this is the only thing that's been working in our region or, or on our city. And, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to fish around here. I have no idea, you know? So it's just a, just another unique story of making lures really. So John, you want to talk a little bit about the technique you use with the Royal Orba? Is it a jig like all the other ones or is it a swim jig? Like the idea with both these baits, hot orb on the Royal Orb, is you want to keep those blades spinning. I feel that um, if you get those double blades to stop spinning, it, it loses its attraction. So what I tell people is uh, just do a slow to medium steady retrieve. I don't do, people might have success doing it a different way, but I do a slow steady pull where I just retrieve it, cast it out and retrieve it like a crankbait. I don't, like I say, I don't do any three foot poles or anything like that, you know, stop and go, stop and go. I don't do that with this bait. Just a steady retrieve where they can hone in on those blades. You know, that seems to work. Just a slow medium. It's not made for burning. It's not made for really burning or ripping. It's a slow medium retrieve. It gets a little deeper than most baits of that style. That might be why guys are really using it, but uh, it definitely, it definitely is a, a deeper running bait. It's got a nice blunt nose on it. I feel this big blunt nose pushes water. You know, water is 600 times more dense than the air. So, you know, you can imagine how much the fish can feel this nose of this thing pushing water as it moves through the water. And that's why I made it with that kind of nose on it. I want it to just move water and create, you know, friction and, and, and just different movements of water in the water current. And when a fish is following it, you don't know what that nose is doing to the water. You don't know what those blades are doing to the water, but it's, it's got the fish's attention, you know, and they're following right behind that thing. And man, it's exciting. I need to get more holds for the for next year. Let's put it that way. You know, one of the things with the, the three-way swivel there, it's incredible. And I'm guessing you're getting a bunch of metal noise there too, which is really cool. And over the past couple seasons, man, I can't even tell you how many fish we've caught on the Royal Orba. Definitely uh, a great tool to have in the boat. That's for sure. Yeah, it's uh, I can't think of another muscle lure that has a three-way swivel on it. You know, that's a walleye component. You know, that's uh, but what else was I going to use? You know what I mean? And yeah, there's a lot of clinking when that thing lands in the water. There's all kinds of clinking out there, like a big one of your big bucktail there, and uh, that tail is in a specific spot on the back. I had to find you move that tail a quarter inch or back or a quarter inch forward it doesn't run right so it took a little little tweak in there but um i get a lot of reports from uh from guys who are who are throwing that and the amount of the, the big the big ones the king daddy ones that i sell they're like uh, 11 and a half ounces the amount of ones that i sell that are they're so heavy to throw but man they, those things have really been selling this year especially up to minnesota a lot of the all of the bigger baits I make, like the King Daddy and the Magnum Magnum Bondi, they they go up to Minnesota. A lot of them guys, they got they got some big fish up there, you know. I just think you know Minnesota anglers, we all love large baits, and I 
I don't know if that's uh, an ego-driven thing or what it is, but our fish definitely like large bait. So it's a it's a weird one. But I, I'll be honest, you know, for me, I, I've always loved large baits. But the Junior Orba, Royal Orba, has uh, probably outperformed, actually, for me anyway, which is kind of interesting. Really? Well, I know when I, I just had the original size for a while, and guys are really wanting a smaller one. And uh, I would say that, that that smaller one probably sells at about the same rate as the, as the, the medium size, you know, the original size now. So I know guys that are using them a lot for pike and stuff like that way up north. So, yep, there's uh, that junior one. is uh, I, I've, I've really thought about making a smaller one than that for bass or something, but you know, we'll see what happens in time. You know, I'd like to maybe make a, I don't know. My brain's always, my brain, there's more, there's not enough aluminum in this world to make enough molds for things that I want to create, you know, but, uh, all that stuff takes money, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the wobbler, if you could make one about an inch long, I think would be great on the ice. I thought about that, but also, uh, you know, there's so many ice fishing products out there and, uh, you know, I've thought about making a small one. I really have, but what, you know, that the problem is what they'd be priced at and would guys spend that when they can do a lot of that with just a ball head jig at that size, you know, and save themselves some money and also would guys do that? I don't know. It's just interesting to me, you know, like, the jigging that I've done playing with the wobbler, it's so interesting because, you know, as you pump that bait and if you stay in contact with it the whole time, it's wop, 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 wop all the way down and you rip it back up. You know, it's amazing. The original body still, I don't know. It probably outshines it as far as the jigging aspect for me anyway. I don't promote the wobbler as much. The bigger wobbler, it's not really good for casting. It's because it's so heavy. It doesn't work good through the water, but for jigging, it is amazing. It's an amazing bait, but I'll tell you a little secret about it. I didn't know it was going to wobble when I made it. That just that was just a fluke. <laughs> Another thing that fell in my lap. I wanted basically just a different shape of a jig, you know, something something different where it fell kind of flat instead of nose first. And I put that thing in the water, I created it, and I put it in the water, and the thing wobbled, and it wobbled hard, and I could not believe it. And it was just a fluke. So I said, this thing this thing is, is actually wobbling, and you can watch your rod dip. On the big one, you can really watch your rod dip if you get it in the right, right uh, tension on the line there. But uh, originally, I didn't know it was going to do that. <laughs> You know, so there's another example where the Lord's blessing me, where it just falls in my lap like that, where this thing actually wobbled without even me planting it, you know? So the little one, it wobbles, not not as pronounced as the big one, but if you use a little bit lighter line, you'll feel it, you'll feel it wobbling for sure. Good things happen to good people, John. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I truly enjoy fishing all your products. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate that, and um, it's this—it's it, very—it makes me very happy to to see people's reactions to something that I created and was just you know through tinkering really, and I actually make a living off this thing now. It's just astonishing to me. And my family, you know, I'm the only one in my family that fishes. Believe it or not, none of my relatives fish. 
nobody. I'm just just on my own. But to see my family's reaction to this lure company growing and that I can actually make a living off it, they're very proud of me. I went to the one muskie show and my father came with me and he's not a fisherman. And a guy come up and he said, I sat through four seminars and three of the seminars, the bondy bait kept coming up in the conversation by the speakers. And my dad who's not a fisherman was so proud and just so blown away by that, you know, that, that his kid has made it in the, in the fishing lure business. And, and it, that was a, that was, that was special for me to see that, uh, People were actually mentioning my bait and to see my dad being ecstatic about about this. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was fun and it continues to be fun. And uh, I, I got a lot of big plans to grow the company really big. We sell a lot of other things too. We sell bass and walleye stuff too. That's big around my area is uh, our walleye baits and things like that. I'm going to hire more people and uh, grow the company and uh, see where it goes from there. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and every time somebody purchases my bait uh, or tr- gives me a fishing story about it, I'm very, very appreciative. People may not, you know, always get a real lengthy email back from me when they message me and stuff like that, but I am very appreciative that people have tried my lures and have had success with them. It just makes me happy from the moment I get up. I just love it. You know, I love I love guiding because I love seeing people's excitement when they catch fish, but just the bait, just seeing people catch something on something you made, you know, that's a lot of fun. Brad, you should know all about that feeling, huh? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know a little bit about it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of them deals where um, I get exactly what John's talking about, and it is a really cool thing to to hear the stories and hear the success and and get to see it, whether it be on a TV show or a video or whatever it might be. You know, we've been blessed in so many ways as John has himself. So I truly can relate to what John's talking about, you know, and the crazy part is, is it it's grown out of control to the point where it's hard to be creative. Fortunately, I think we've been creative and I know it, where John was talking about, you know, making another mold and doing something new you're already over the top busy. It's kind of hard to actually look forward to something new. I would say anyway, would you agree with that, John? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it takes like my mind's always turning on new ideas, but just in the last 24 months, I've just been just trying to just make money on the products I already sell, you know, trying to just make sure we have parts in stock, trying to get the orders out. My my orders have been behind. It, even the biggest of the big stores, I sell to them, and they're waiting. I mean, it's just how it is. It's just the way it is, you know. They, they've got to wait like everybody else, and I'm not the only one that, uh, you know, I'm not the only one they're waiting on either. My stuff, I'm proud of. We don't buy anything from China or any of these foreign countries. We, we use domestic products. My wires are from Missouri. My lead's from Canada. My molds are from all over uh, the United States and Canada. The packaging's from the States. My flake, my plastic's from Georgia. I mean, I buy domestic material, so all my stuff is not sitting in a shipping container somewhere. I'm, I'm just, I just need to put it all together and ship them out. So I'm not waiting on foreign components because I don't use them. You know, Likewise. 
Yep, that's one been one beneficial thing for me is uh, focusing on domestic materials, and guys appreciate that. You know what I mean? And I've been able to still I've been able to keep prices down, and um, I haven't have to worry about mine falling off a container into the ocean like it's happened to some people. Yeah, that's that's always interesting to hear, and and we we are doing the same exact thing that you're talking about. You know, we believe it's very important to uh, to stay here local as if we can. You know, and I think you know there's a quality advantage to that too. But I think number one, uh, number two, potentially, you know, I mean, quality is always number one in my mind. But number two would be that uh, I think it's truly helped us over the last two years, year and a half, whatever it's been with this whole COVID thing. We haven't had to rely on not getting product or materials, you know. So everything's done in-house here at our shop. It's about 100 feet from our house. We walk down and we we go to work every day. Um, I don't have to turn a key on a truck to go to work. So it's um, it's cool. I, I love it. And I think uh, there's no doubt throughout this whole conversation, your passion just shines completely through, whether it be on the fishing and now likewise with your uh, with your company. Well, I appreciate it. I know you guys are swamped too. And, uh, you know, to the fishing masses out there, we're, we're, the baits are coming. Just, <laughs> just try and be patient, but we're not going anywhere. You know, we're, we're trying to produce them the best we can. And, uh, we're not letting quality slip just to get them, get them out the door and get more money in the bank. We're keeping the same, everything's the same, you know, but things take time and, uh, demands at an all time high. That's always awesome news, isn't it, Jeff? Yep, it is. The demand. The I demand. Mean, that, that's what we all need and want as manufacturers and as a retailer for you, Jeff. Yeah, my only question is, when does it slow? That's that's just, that's the dying question. Nobody knows. Yeah, well, I, I mean, don't Jeff, think things are going to slow down. Yeah, you, you alluded to that earlier. You know, yeah, I think it's going to be several years. I think it's going to be several years because demand for boats is still high, and just just rods and reels. Um, I had a I have opened up a little retail store at my shop because you know it helps pay the rent. I ordered a, I ordered you know rods and reels this year that they never did show up. You know, nine months later they've never shown up. So I think that demand is going to uh, continue to be high. Yeah, I know reels were not an easy thing to get. Um, I spent the month of June pretty much doing the open water trolling thing, and counter reels were like almost non-existent. And uh, throughout the rest of the season, if you're looking for casting reels, uh, <laughs> good luck. You know, I mean, you could find them here and there, but they were gone quick if you uh, if you didn't pull the trigger right away. I never did get in for my store. I got in, I got, tried to order musky reels too late and I never got a single one. I got some line counters, but never got any, any high quality musky reels. But I've ordered a very large amount of all that stuff for next season. And uh, if, if 25% of it shows up, I'll be happy. I just, I kind of over ordered because uh, my my town is kind of hurting for a little good tackle shop. So we've we've expanded on what we have in our little storefront there, and uh, people have really responded to it. So I've really increased my orders for next year on uh, rods and reels and that kind of thing. And uh, um, I'm just hoping that it shows. You know, hoping that it shows up. So John, um, you know, when we were talking about technique, you said nine to eleven when you're jigging. Um, 
basically you're talking about taking a rod tip down to the water, but then coming up to that nine or 11, is that correct? Or was that the swim jigging? Yeah, that was a swim jig. And when I'm, when I'm jigging, uh, vertical jigging in the river, I'm, I'm jigging from like seven to, to about nine. And when okay. I'm casting, when I'm casting out on the lake, I'm jigging it from like nine to, you know, nine to 10 or 11. And they always seem to hit at the top of that lift. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I can tell you, it's a lot of fun, but always be ready for a bite. That's for sure. Can you, can you share what uh, length rod you choose to use when you're doing that jigging technique? You know, when I first started musky jigging in the Detroit river, I said to myself, this is the heaviest of heavy duty fishing. And I went with the stiffest rods I had, which were back then six to six and a half, seven foot jerk bait rods. And they were stiff as a pool cue. And in the first two weeks of jigging muskie, 20 something years ago, I broke four of them setting the hook. So I said, all right. So I, I called up one of my sponsors and I said, you got to send me some saltwater rods or and they sent me some some saltwater ugly sticks that were eight feet long. These were saltwater uh, bait. They were stiff as a pool cue, and I I stuck my my personal best with that forty dollar saltwater ugly stick. But they were just very heavy, so I I knew I I knew the longer length was the deal. So from that point on, I was using eight to eight and a half footers. And that extra bend in that rod helps you lose a lot less fish. And when you set the hook, you can sweep up the line. You can sweep up a lot of line when you get that bite. Um, that extra length helps you choose, you know, no high sweep there. Set the hook good. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that. I know that a ton of the listeners will appreciate that as well, John. I mean, going out and jigging the first time is not always an easy thing mentally, but, uh, at least you can have some confidence in, in the equipment that you're using before you start. Yep. Well, John, usually we end an episode, or I say 50% anyways, with a tip. And in this case, uh, if you could give the beginning jigger uh, one tip, what would you say you, to them? I would say don't give up. You may not get them the first time you go. It might take you a little while. Uh, but don't give up. It's, it's not, it's not easy. So if you're willing, if you're the type of person who can focus on something and really wants to learn something new that you're going to use the rest of your life, don't give up. The other thing is always be in position to set the hook. If you got, if you're on the front deck and say you're casting or whatever, and your buddy's standing next to you and you set the hook on your one side and all your power is on that side. Well, if your buddy's standing there, that's not going to work. Always ask yourself, when you go through the day, am I in the position to set the hook if I got a bite right now? And I would say 50% of the time, you will find yourself not in a proper position to get a good angle and a good strong hook set. So if you just constantly ask yourself that question, if I've got a bite, what would happen if I had my personal best fish on right now? Would I blow it? for various reasons, not focusing or your line, your braids wrapped around the tip or something like that. Just, just always ask yourself, what would happen if I got a bite right now? Would I get it or would I lose it? And you can focus on doing that. You'll catch a lot more fish in the air. Well, John, I really appreciate you coming out. If somebody's looking to book a trip with you, 
what's the best way they can go about doing that? Yeah, just look us up on the internet, bondyfishing.com. And, uh, you know, I do uh, walleye, musky bass. Start out in the year, first part of the year doing walleye, and then the rest of the year it's, it's bass and musky. And uh, Fish Lake St. Clair and the Detroit River. Next year is my 28th season. You know, it's a lot of fun around here. If you've never been to Lake St. Clair at Detroit River, uh, look me up and uh, I'll try to get out fishing and uh, tell some fishing stories all day. It's a good time. Well, John, once again, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on. I know it's been a couple of weeks for us trying to, you know, work together to get this together. And now's the time for people to really get out and jig. But based on this conversation, it sounds like it's an all year round technique that some, some guys should really take advantage of next season. So I want to thank everybody for listening again this week. And we'll catch everybody again next week with an episode of Backlash Podcast. <laughs>